we just have a conversation around what it is that they're looking for, um, what their experience level is, how their health is, what their uh, major barriers would be to having a sex life. And uh, then we send them a client intake form and then they start to fill that out. Uh, the client intake form has a lot of private questions uh, detailing what their past experiences have been, what they're hoping to achieve, and um, and what turns them on. This is Meredith For Real, The Curious Introvert, and I'm Meredith. I explore the questions people think but don't ask out loud, either because they're taboo or thanks to cultural hypnosis. My mission, and yours if you choose to accept it, is to inspire curiosity by exploring the nuance and paradox of our world. Each episode is different, so bring your ADD and your earbuds and have a look around. Hey, Curiositors, it's me, Meredith. Today's topic is, I believe, at the top of the taboo list of topics that can possibly be taboo. Yes, more than the swingers episode I did. And in some ways, more than the one with the guy who ate his own foot. We're talking about why we view people with disabilities as asexual beings, and not only how my guest is working to change those attitudes, but also how her agency actually connects sex workers called surrogates or intimacy coaches to those needing to explore their sexuality in a different way due to a disability. We cover legality, safety, ethics, and how she went from being an HR executive to owning her own agency. If you're one of my amazing loyal listeners, you know how grateful I am for you and tuning in every single week. And not just that, but for becoming, becoming curious, becoming a listener of people's stories, becoming an explorer of the world around you. I appreciate you so much. And I think you're going to find this episode really, really interesting. If you've enjoyed a few episodes, it would mean a lot to me if you would leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or the Good Pods app. And if you end up liking this episode, you'll also like the one I did with the intimacy coordinator who works on movie and TV sets to help actors feel comfortable during simulated sex scenes. It's episode 123. And finally, if you're new here, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Around here, we press play to get curious disrupt the algorithm, and grow into better humans. We talk about everything from robots to refugees. So bring your ADD and your earbuds and have a look around. There's no specific order to listen to episodes. All right, enjoy the show. Nowadays, a lot of people are doing their best to be sex positive. It's more common to hear someone just casually mention their sexual orientation or even talk about their favorite sex toys. Why then is it still so uncomfortable to think about someone with a spinal cord injury having sex? My next guest thinks it shouldn't be that way. After working in human resources for a financial institution for 20 years, she retired, but only briefly before she began working the phones for an escort service. After receiving calls from people with disabilities looking for sex and having to turn them down because sex workers wouldn't work with them, she decided she would start her own agency. She founded Sensual Solutions, an intimate care service for adults with disabilities. And today, she's going to answer the questions we're all thinking and challenge the stigma that adults with disabilities are ineligible for sex. Advocate, Vancouverite, thriving in her second act, 
Trish St. John. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Hello from Vancouver. Well, I'm happy to have you. Hello from Pensacola, Florida. I I think we all want to know right away, financial institution, human resources to an escort agency call center. Why? What made you go, you know what's a great idea? I'm going to go from uh, pursuing sexual harassment claims to facilitating people having sex. <laughs> That's a good analogy, actually. Um, You know, it was time for me. I had grown out of my job. I'd I'd done it. And so I left the institution that I worked at since I was like 18 or 19 and decided to look for my passion. What was my passion? So I toyed around with a bunch of different things from perhaps um, a sex educator or a sex phone operator. Uh, I have a bit of acting ability in me. And so I thought maybe a sex phone operator might be fun. I wanted to do something that was fun. But then I realized I also wanted to do something that gave back. And so while I was at the escort agency, it doesn't quite explain how I got to the escort agency, but that was quite simple. It was just a small little ad in the paper. And I thought to myself, hmm, it said, uh, phone girl needed for a busy escort agency so i thought why don't i give them a call check them out see if they're legitimate if they're legalized uh if they don't have any attachments to organized crime and just go through my checklist of um if i think they're a good business and so that's kind of what i did i went and i called them up and i went and had a look and i thought okay maybe this is for me maybe i can learn something from this and maybe this will be a stepping stone to something else And it was. That is such a a human resources way to get an (laughs) escort. You know what I mean? I have a friend who she's the um, director of human resources at a very large um, educational institution in Atlanta. And that would be how she would do that. But why sex? Like immediately you're like, oh, maybe I'll do this in the sex industry or this in the like, why? Why that category of work? Why not like? a florist. <laughs> oh, I have I have no ability to be a florist, that's for sure. Oh, okay. Um, I, I, over the years, I've kind of had some answers come to me around that. One was um, when I was a teenager, I, I was not somebody who dated. I, boys weren't interested in me. Um, I wasn't really interested. And... Um, that stayed with me for a long time into my adulthood that um, I didn't get my first kiss till I was quite late, you know, like 19 or 20, something like that. Uh, But not only that, um, it was just a, a calling that I notice a group of people who are being marginalized and, sex seemed to be the biggest area that they were marginalized in. I have friends with disabilities. I dated a man with a disability who, by the way, was very excellent uh, with his hands, with his mouth, everything. And that kind of got me going. I thought, wow, this guy has reinvented himself. And uh, he was just a fantastic partner to uh, have an experience with. Uh, So I kind of look at it like that, like sex was missing 
in my life for a long time. Uh, so I can't imagine what it would be like for people with disabilities, that community, whether you're trying to date or get married and have children. And what surprised you the most after you started your business? There's always, for every business owner, I feel like there's the story, like the one you just shared, and then there's the in the trenches of actually starting it. Right. Uh, What was the most surprising probably was that um, how popular it was, how needed it was, and how... uh, in my first week of business, I received a phone call from a major rehab hospital here in Vancouver um, to come and meet with them to find out what kind of resources I had and what my plan was. And they were so positive and so helpful. Uh, that was a really nice surprise. Um, there's There's been a lot of surprises in the trenches from clients, uh, Parents of adult children with disabilities would call me and say, thank you so much for starting this. We hadn't, we didn't know where to turn. We weren't sure what to do. So uh, can you help us? Yes. And just, it continues like that. Just lots of great surprises, actually. Wow. That's incredible. You uh, touched on something earlier when you were sharing your HR checklist of approval uh, about the legality of the escort service that you used to work for. And here in the States, um, I'm pretty sure none of that is legal except for that small county in Nevada. How does it work in Canada? Is this legal? Yes, in Canada, this is legal. Uh, Our organization um, promotes a surrogacy service. So uh, that is completely legal in Canada. Our law, we only have one overriding law that talks about um, sexual services. And unfortunately, it's not broken up into different categories where we could actually focus on people with disabilities as a medical issue. Uh, But the one law does allow... Uh, people to offer uh, services that involve sex. Um, the only thing that's a little bit different about it that's happened in the last few years is that it's become, it's illegal to purchase. So it's legal to sell and it's illegal to purchase. So it makes it a little bit difficult, but that's the law that we have. Well, I kind of, I didn't understand that at first, but when I was looking more into this, I understand now that that criminalizes the John and not the, the, the sex worker. And in your case, who is going to put a person with a spinal cord injury, for example, in jail? Probably no one. Right. Yeah. The optics would be really bad, wouldn't it? Can you imagine? Yeah. Well, (laughs) uh, I love, again, I love the way you word that. The optics of that would be very bad. (laughs) The board says no. Yeah, exactly. Are there other countries in which it is, it's, there's also services like these and where it's legal to some degree? Yes. Um, I just have a list here. There are in Japan, there's a group called white hands And uh, in Taiwan, there's a group called Hand Angels. Um, The biggest group that I know of is in Australia. They've been working for uh, about two decades now to provide, uh, their organization is called Touching Base, and they work with uh, their sex workers and 
their disabled community to create this program where sex workers would be trained how to work with people with disabilities. Care aids would be notified. Care aids would be part of their program. So touching base in Australia is a big one. Uh, in Germany, I know that there was a professional sex worker there in the early 2000s who decided to train um prostitutes in Germany or sex workers uh, to work with disabled. And I believe that's still going. Um, in the UK, there's quite a few. A wonderful pioneer named Tuppy Owens. She, uh, back in the 80s, started uh, TLC. And it's a charity um, where she works with people to with disabilities to match them with others. And uh, she's a wealth of information. The UK has several programs like this. Uh, so they're much more advanced in it than we are. The Netherlands as well. I'm sure everyone's heard of the Netherlands and their wonderful government subsidized uh, visits and uh, reimbursement for sex toys. Awesome. Um, and Israel, of all places, Israel has a really interesting project and it's been going for about a decade. Um, it's run by a clinic and a clinician, a, a physician, and she has, I don't know the name of the project, uh, but it is one where in the hospital, people with disabilities can come and receive surrogate therapy. And evidently it's been very, very successful to the point where able-bodied people also want in on it. Wow. See, that's what I love about these conversations is it goes from the initial maybe gut reaction of like, oh, okay, crazy Vancouver lady <laughs> to wait a minute. This is this is happening in all those other places. You know, popularity, unfortunately, kind of lends to credibility to yeah. fringe things. But are they really French? And it's not French to be a sexual being, but for some reason, we put people with disabilities on the outside of that scope. What's the reason for that? Why do you think that it's so uncomfortable for so many people to think of someone, for example, again, with a spinal cord injury to be having sex? Well, I think it's fear. And I think it's ignorance. So for people who don't understand the disabled community, um, they're not going to even have this on their radar, that people with disabilities have brains and have nerves and have feelings and have dreams and hormones and uh, desires and wants, just like anybody else. I also think that uh, the able-bodied community the way that people with disabilities have been raised uh, and how they've been treated as we grow older into adulthood, the uh, the whole area of treating people with disabilities almost like children, where uh, they are looked after to the point that uh, it's, I believe the term is uh, infanticide, where we think of them as uh, infants and that they're in total need. Uh, which may be true for some, that their needs are great. However, they still are human beings. And therefore, from that point alone, they have desires, wants, hormones, all of the stuff that anybody else does. Yeah, absolutely. I think I have witnessed that my brother has cerebral palsy. Um, and mm -hmm. so he was on a wheelchair basketball team. And that environment was really great because it was just like, 
our thing. It was normal. And then I watched other people talk to outside of our little group to talk to the people in wheelchairs as though they were like hard of hearing and maybe intellectually disabled and, and they were, they were like using a baby voice and calling them buddy. And yeah. So I, I think you've, yeah, I think you've hit on something there. Um, I'd love to go back to what you said about the medical referrals from the rehab facility. How does that work uh, now that you have an established relationship? Well, uh, because of the way the law is in Canada, the referrals are basically under the table. Uh, It's not something, unfortunately, that they can uh, put in as part of their advertising or their brand or what have you. But how it works is a sexual health clinician will give me a call or a sex therapist or a clinical sexologist. They have patients with spinal cord injuries, uh, cerebral palsy, uh, multiple sclerosis, uh, muscular dystrophy, stroke, and so on. And uh, they'll call and ask if um, there might be something for one of their clients. And so we work with the client. The client's referred to us. They give us a phone call or they send us an email and we give them a call and let them know that we're real. And uh, if they want to meet with me first, that's fine. I, that's not a problem. I'm happy to do that for them. Uh, and then we just have a conversation around what it is that they're looking for, um, what their experience level is, how their health is, what their uh, major barriers would be to having a sex life. And uh, then we send them a client intake form, and then they start to fill that out. Uh, the client intake form has a lot of private questions uh, detailing what their past experiences have been, what they're hoping to achieve, and um, and what turns them on. What do they what do they want to get busy with? Is it themselves? Are they just are they interested in uh, figuring out a way to masturbate? And if the penis isn't working or the vagina, the clitoris doesn't work, then maybe there's other areas. So we offer body mapping and things of that nature. So we find out what it is that they need and um, book the appointment and away we go. Hey, Curiositors, just a quick pause to show gratitude to our sponsors and give you some special deals. If you ever wonder where I find guests for the show, the answer is it varies a lot. And since it's something that gets asked a lot, I started including the backstory of each episode in my Monday emails. And then on Saturday, I share cliff notes and clickable links in case what you heard was so good you wish you could have taken notes. If you want to be included, text R-E-A-L to 66866 if you're in the U.S. or go to MeredithForReal.com if you're elsewhere. If you've got backyard barbecue plans for 2022, but mosquitoes are not invited, I recommend Insec. I've been using their pest control service for several years now. They have a certified mosquito identification specialist on staff. And pollinator care is always top of mind. If you live in the Florida Panhandle or the Gulf Coast of Alabama, give them a call, ensec.net. If you watch the show on YouTube, then you see the beautiful backdrop of Trader John's, the exhibit where I record the show inside the Pensacola Museum of History. This is just one museum under the umbrella of the UWF Historic Trust. If you're planning a trip to Pensacola and need an indoor activity option, pick up a ticket. It's good for a whole week. 
Get your tickets in person so you can show the agent one of my emails and get $2 off an adult ticket. Now back to the show. Remember to stay till the end where I give you a sneak peek of next week's episode. You mentioned uh, Japan earlier, and as a part of my preparation for our talk, I was all over YouTube. I'm sure if anybody sees my YouTube search history, they're like, who is this girl? Because I'm all over the place. But all well. Um, and one of the videos that I came across was a service in, in Japan. And it was um, told a story told through the eyes of the medical sex worker, which is the term that they used for her. And she basically went into the man's home, gave him a hand job and left. Other videos that I watched were much more of a girlfriend experience. Where does your service fall in between those two spectrums? Well, we definitely call ourselves um, medically assisted facilitators or surrogates for sexual health. And so I would say ours is more on the um, broad, full spectrum of services available, depending on, again, what the client can do. And do you help interabled couples figure out how to have better intimacy? We uh, help adult men women, couples, uh, regardless of, um, you know, uh, interabled or both are disabled. We also look, uh, we also accept people who are on the spectrum of the LGBTQ community. Uh, so yes, we see a variety of people. Uh, there's 4.4 million people who are disabled in Canada and we have a good, uh, population here in Vancouver. So we do see quite a bit. And you had a couple that actually met through your service or through their caretakers. Can you can you share that story? Sure. Yes, we had a gentleman who wanted to. Uh, he had muscular. He has uh, muscular dystrophy, and he wanted to learn how he could have self pleasure, figure out ways that he could masturbate, and so we worked with him. He was fantastic. Uh, and he was building up his confidence and he started dating and he started dating a woman who uh, has a similar disability to him. And they were so much, uh, they were so hot for each other, but they didn't have a way to express that. Can you imagine? They can't express what they want to express for each other. So, and they're, we can't really ask our care aides to help because the care aide is an employee. So you have to be really careful with that and how you deal with that. So he, he called me and he said, I've met someone and we'd really like help. Um, and so I sent over one of um, our coaches, Lexi, and Lexi proceeded to help this couple. Again, sitting down with them, talking about what it is that they really would like to achieve. And then uh, basically helping them. So it would start off where she would be just very quiet. She'd put them in the bedroom, uh, do transfer lifts, help them to get on the bed, put them in a position where they're hugging each other, where they can kiss each other and make out. So they'd make out for a good, you know, solid 20 minutes or whatever they'd like. And then they would call Lexi. Lexi would leave the room and give them privacy, but she'd be close by just in case. And then she'd come back in the room and they'd move. They'd say, okay, now can you help us undress? So very quietly, she helps them undress and tries to make it erotic for them that they're seeing each other and touching each other and feeling each other. And she's 
a third party that is um, a surrogate, just trying to help them get to the next level. And it got to the point where uh, they had uh, several sessions and they moved in together. And so that's probably one of my lovely, lovely um, rewards from this kind of job is seeing that happen for people. I was very happy about that. That is so sweet. Are your clients mostly mostly male or mostly, is there a mix? Uh, we're mostly male at this point. We do have couples and we do have a few females. Um, and we also have, uh, um, I think we have a couple of lesbian clients as well. So it is growing. The word is getting out and it's growing. I'm, I'm trying to think of, uh, put myself in the mental state of somebody who might have an argument against this. Um, and I'm sure you can share with me any, you know, pushback that you've received from your community. But the only thing that I can think of is someone might say, doesn't someone with XY disability have more important things to worry about? How would you respond to that? Uh, well, according to, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs after uh, shelter, food and water and shelter, it's basically love and sex. So uh, I don't know how anybody would want to, to say that somebody would have something else on their mind besides that. I guess what that tells me is that there's still that ableist view that someone with a disability really shouldn't even be thinking about it because it's just going to be inconvenient for everyone. Mm. Um, so that's how I kind of see it. Oh, that's interesting that it that it goes into inconvenience. That yes. that is not something I considered. Have you gotten other pushback from people in your area who are know about your organization or uh you know, I'd have to say the answer definitely would be no. However, there was one case when I was on a podcast uh, on a radio show and uh the feedback afterwards was from one gentleman who felt that uh, we were just basically trying to fool the community that this was uh, prostitution and just felt that in every way this was wrong. Mm. Uh, the scary thing about that is that person's a carried. Oh, well, they might have some built up issues of their own. <laughs> so that's usually the case. He who protests yeah. too much is usually, <laughs> you right. know, um, tell me about your, um, what do you, what do you call them? Intimacy coaches? We call them intimacy coaches. And the whole idea is around surrogacy or assisted, uh, sexual health. And who, who are they? Like, give me an idea of, their educational background, you know, um, why they're interested in this work, kind of paint a picture for us of sure. who they are. Sure. The people that come forward, uh, for the ones that I take on, and they go through a, a very rigorous, because uh, I'm from HR, they go through <laughs> <laughs> I love that so much. You have no idea how much I love the paradox of you like being an HR professional and doing yeah. this. It makes me so happy. Yeah. Sorry. Keep going. <laughs> so they, um, there are people that are really uh, definitely wanting to help other people. You can see it in, in who they are and their background. A lot of people come to me who are social workers, who are uh sex workers who want to do something different. Uh, 
They're social workers and sex workers? Yes. Oh, okay. Uh, And so they want uh, yes and no, both. Um, And they want to do something to help this community. Uh, I have a clinical sexologist. um, I have somatic sex educators. Uh, So the people that apply are usually uh, between the ages of 22 and 40 and mostly women. And uh, we have a few gentlemen who apply and uh, they have a background in care aid. That's the other thing that a lot of people were or are a care aid and they see the need for this. Um, most of them have some kind of healthcare education. All of them have a clean criminal record check. That's really important because we're dealing with a vulnerable community. Uh, and they're happy people. They're very sex positive people. They want to be able to use their body to help someone else to teach from anything from anatomy, you know, how to make love to your partner, what's in, what's involved with that, uh, how, what orgasm is, how, if you're, if you've got an injury and you need to retrain yourself because your uh, genitals don't do that for you anymore, then we we look for people who can come on board, who can do body mapping and other things to help uh, reassign where those pleasure centers are. So it might be someone who's got experience with helping someone feel very sensual in their earlobes or the back of their neck, um, their elbow, their thumbs, their feet, perhaps. It just, it's a lot of... Um, it's a lot of uh, trial and error, but it's fun. It's fun trial and error. <laughs> I imagine so. Um, what do you hope for the future of sex work? What's What would you like to see happen on a bigger scale? In Canada, I'd like to see the law change. I, I'd like to see that there's room for surrogacy especially when it's related to uh, people that have health issues and can't access their body themselves. That's the biggest thing that I'm hoping for. And do you have plans to expand franchise come into the States even? We, we cannot uh, come into the States uh, just because of the way the laws are. It's just so different. We want to expand. We have a couple of people, a couple of coaches on Vancouver Island We have one coach in Montreal, and we're looking to expand in Ontario to the Toronto area. Um, But unfortunately, yeah, we we do get a lot of requests from the United States. Some Americans actually make the trip and come to Vancouver to receive the service, which is fantastic. Uh, And some are hoping that it will start up in the United States. Now, I do know there's a surrogate association in California called IPSA, International Professional Surrogacy Association. And their website is surrogatetherapy.org. Uh, they're a, they provide the credentials. They, they're an accredited institution where if people want to become a professional surrogate in the United States, they can check out that group and see if it's of interest to them. Okay. Well, th- this has been really interesting. I, I hope that this helps expand people's uh feelings about 
you know, or it helps them be more honest about their feelings. I think that's where true transformation takes place. It's not just saying the right thing or being politically correct, but really having a change of heart. And I love that you were open and you shared that you had a relationship with a man with a disability and that really changed your mind about things. And, you know, we're a bit of a late bloomer and, and all of that fits and puts the puzzle pieces together to paint the picture of your motives and who you are. So thank you for sharing that. And I hope that our listeners can, you know, come to an honest place about how they think about others with disabilities having sex and, uh, and that there, there really is more, you know, inclusivity in that department. Any final thoughts before we close? People with disabilities get horny too. (laughs) I love it. How can people stay in touch with your organization? Uh, You can check out our website, sensualsolutions.ca, or you can check any of our social media profiles. We're on all of them, including Yelp. Perfect. Thank you so much. This was great. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. If you've loved a couple episodes of the show, leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or the Good Pods app. These show credibility when I ask great guests to come on the show because they know it's a legit show with engaged audience members. And if you liked this episode, you'll also like the one with the intimacy coordinator who works on movie and TV sets to help actors feel comfortable during simulated sex scenes. It's episode 123. Stay tuned next week when I talk with a Hawaiian native who answers the question, is Hawaii haunted? Until next time.